0: Welcome to ELP's podcast series on sanctions law, where we unpack the complexities of sanction laws and their escalating role in global trade. Sanction laws are legal measures imposed by nations or international bodies to restrict or penalize certain activities, often for political, security or human rights reasons. They can significantly influence international business, making it vital for companies to understand and comply with these regulations. In recent years, sanctions have taken center stage in international business posing intricate challenges for companies worldwide. With Western nations increasingly using sanctions as a tool, navigating these waters has become critical. Non-compliance is no small matter with these sanctions. It can lead to severe legal and financial consequences, including hefty penalties and reputational harm. This reality underscores the importance for businesses to grasp the regulatory landscape across different jurisdictions and implement strong compliance strategies. Our series delves deep into the practical aspects of avoiding inadvertent missteps in sanction-related matters. We focus on helping businesses make informed commercial decisions considering the complex web of relationships with suppliers, distributors or end-users. It's about proactively mitigating risks to shield your company from the ripple effects of violations committed by others in your business network. As part of ELP's commitment to illuminating key issues in international trade, this podcast series offers insightful perspectives on the sanctions landscape. Please join us as we explore the world of sanctuary laws and examine the practical steps businesses can take to navigate its waters.
1: Hi, this is... Sanjay Notani, Senior Partner of International Trade and Customs Practice at Economic Loss Practice, and you're tuned into ELP's podcast series on sanctions. Through this episode, we will delve into the integrated world of sanctions and their evolving impact on businesses. In recent years, with international geopolitics at play, US sanctions have become increasingly complex and dynamic, affecting not only global trade but also posing significant challenges for businesses worldwide. Hence, understanding and navigating these sanctions has never been more crucial. In this episode, we will explore the multifaceted landscape of US sanctions, their potential ramifications for Indian businesses, especially given that India does not have any sanctions at play and therefore the proactive steps that we should be considering or the businesses should be considering to adapt to this ever-changing legal environment. To help us unpack these questions, we have with us today K. Georgi. K. Georgi is a partner in the International Trade and Investment Group at Aarons Fox and has been more than 33 years experience advising clients on all aspects of international trade with particular capability in the areas of export control and sanctions, FCPA, imports, customs matters, ranked as one of the nation's leading international trade expert export controls and economic sanctions lawyers by Chambers USA and as a leading international practitioner by legal 500 and expert guys K is known for helping large and small clients understand comply mm-hmm. with it whether the investigation storms associated with the complex set of U.S laws mm-hmm. and regulations governing U.S exports and non-, US exports of goods, software, services, and technology. So here we have Kay, early in the morning. Hi Kay, it is a pleasure <laughs> to have you here with us today. And uh, we are- any- Morning
2: Sanjay. And thank you and thank, thank economic law practices uh, to have me here this morning, even if it is 7 a.m.
1: <laughs> okay, so let's just dive into our questions. So before we get into the more practical insights to comply with the U.S. sanctions, uh, Kay, can you share with us an overview of the regulatory landscape of the U.S. sanctions regime, particularly what are the primary and secondary sanctions and particularly under what conditions could secondary sanctions be involved?
2: So... Uh, primary and secondary sanctions are sort of unofficial terms that have grown up. They're not official U.S. government terms because the U.S. government doesn't see them in, in that way. But it's these are terms that the, the industry is, has has adopted sort of to, to create two main categories of risks. So primary sanctions are re- what, what we call primary sanctions, it refers to situations where the, the transa- transaction has a U.S. nexus, a U.S. connection. Um, and therefore, it's subject to U.S. laws and U.S. prohibitions. And and if it's prohibited, violates U.S. laws. So, for example, the U.S. corporation exports to Iran, that transaction is subject to U.S. jurisdiction and probably unless it's authorized uh, or accepted, uh, prohibited. If an Indian company does business in Iran and is paid in U.S. dollars, and those U.S. dollars go through a U.S. financial institution, the transaction is also subject to U.S. jurisdiction. So there has to be that U.S. hook. And if there is a U.S. hook and it's a violation of law, then you're violating U.S. law. By contrast, secondary sanctions is when there isn't any U.S. nexus. Okay, so the Indian company is doing what the Indian company is doing with Iran. There aren't any U.S. persons involved. The, the U.S. dollars, it's not in U.S. dollars. It's not going through the U.S., no U.S. goods involved. They're doing something, and I'm using Iran as an example. But there, of course, there are other embargoed countries. They're doing something that triggers the U.S. sanctions, um, and what that means is the U.S. can designate uh, the Indian company that's doing the business with Iran and put them on the sanctions list. And that's really that's really what secondary sanctions is about. And there's a wide range, and I think. Sanjay has a question later on in this this session about it, but there's a wide range of conduct the U.S. government uh, imposes secondary sanctions uh, for.
1: Thanks, Kate. That is always very insightful because I think much of these kinds of foundational things are clearly not known to many people in this side of the town. And I think that was very, very important to clearly have that understanding that U.S. sanctions clearly have territorial application. In, in other words, if I can sum it up, they clearly apply even to transactions, foreign entities, foreign persons outside the US jurisdiction, clearly as part of your illustration which you uh, spoke about India. Uh, now, can you sh- shed some light on what are the penalties for violating secondary sanctions or are there any recent examples of foreign companies, persons, particularly concerning persons in jurisdictions uh, <laughs> such as India or where there are no sanctions being subjected to penalties in the US?
2: Yeah, so you don't violate secondary sanctions, you violate primary sanctions, uh, and you're at risk of being designated for activities that are uh, fall within secondary sanctions. Um, so the, 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 let's go over first the penalties for violating primary sanctions. So if you have a US nexus, you violate US law, uh, the maximum civil penalty is a nice round number, three hundred and fifty six thousand five hundred and seventy nine or twice the value of the transaction, whichever is greater. OK, that's the civil penalty. That's the maximum. Um, criminal penalties are up to a million for violation and up to 20 years in prison um, uh, if, if if they're willful. So uh, they're pretty, pretty significant. Um but with with respect to secondary sanctions, you don't have you're not paying money to the U.S. government. There aren't fines and penalties. You're not going to jail. What happens instead is you get put on the SDN list. Now, keep in mind, not everyone who engages in the activities are going is going to be put on the SDN list. So, we have clients, you know, it's like, no, look, everyone else did this. Why am I on the SDN list and they're not? Well, you know, there has to be a selection process, and the U.S. government has to develop a file and actually has to make the decision to, to designate you. Um, Sanjay asked, if, are there any Indian companies that have been sanctioned? Yes, there are, uh, I looked it up and there's 28 entities and persons listed right now. Well, under India, if you put India in the search term <laughs> on the SDN list, um, and you know, it's really what you would expect. I've pulled up a few cases. So one case this year for May of 2023, um, OFAC had previously designated a Swiss-Italian businessman named Walter Moretti um, for procuring sensitive technologies and equipment for Russia's intelligence services and its military. Um, And in May, uh, the U.S. government designated additional persons as supporting this Walter Moretti guy. So they designated uh, Mavasal Impacts Private Limited and InnoEdge Cloud Service Private Limited. And these were Indian companies used by Moretti and the network to source and procure technology for Russian end users. So apparently, according to the U.S. government press release, uh, the Indian companies purchased advanced technology and then resold it on to Russian state owned enterprises, including entities involved in Russian nuclear weapons research and development. They also put one Indian national uh, who uh, or actually I guess there was two of them who also couldn't. So it wasn't just the two companies. It was also Indian, Indian national. So that's just an example. More a little bit older uh, are a couple of Iranian, Iranian oil cases. So already you hear Russia military, right? That's one theme. Another really big theme is Iranian anything, but particularly Iranian oil. So um, February of 22, um, the U.S. government designated um, uh, a particular, um, uh, let me get his name, uh, financier of the Houthis, um, and, and in addition also designated uh, an Indian-based uh, company that managed ships uh, connected to the to the to the Iranian uh, Houthi financier. So they were essentially involved in in vessel management at sea to allow Iranian oil. Uh, to be transferred to Houthi-controlled ports in Yemen. A little bit older than that, uh, not to, to bore you with all of them, but in 2019, the Mehdi group was designated um, in India. And what they were doing, they were, they were managing vessels and found additional ones to move Iranian oil. So again, they were moving Iranian oil. So you have a couple uh, Iranian oil cases, uh, one involving uh, the Houthi in Yemen, the other just, I think, involving you know uh, uh, various companies and shell companies. Um, and vessels, by the way, are designated too, the Bonita Queen, the Debrez, and the Tour Two. Um, and they were moving Iranian oil, Another major one is Russian military. So those are those are examples of recent designations in India.
1: So uh, uh, okay, definitely we will be researching in order to understand how did this lucky number three fifty six came from, and we don't know in terms of. <laughs>
2: But, uh, it's, it's very simple. It's it's the two hundred and fifty thousand that is then uh, adjusted for annual inflation. And so years ago, they forgot about inflation and they just weren't bothering about it. But then every year now, they increase it slightly for inflation. So the I'm number, assuming, is, the number is never round and easy to remember. You always have to look it up.
1: <laughs> I'm assuming because given the recent inflation rates, this may further go <laughs> up. Uh, presumably, yes, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So let me get people now to sort of getting away from this uh, lake fear to the lake proactive. Uh, So what kind of practical steps uh, do you think that the Indian businesses and the partners should take to ensure compliance with the U.S. sanctions and export control laws? So
2: having a compliance program is is a key one. Um, So um... You know, first, you would want to make sure you understood what portions of your business are actually subject to primary sanctions. What are you doing with the U.S. that also involves an embargoed country, embargoed individuals? Um, And then you would do a risk analysis, uh, uh, risk based analysis to figure out. Where are your risk areas? How do I craft a program that is effective at addressing those risk areas? Am I doing business in Russia, for example? Um, Am I doing business in Iran or, you know, am I doing business in China? Um, These are areas where you could have some risk um, and sort of analyze what your customer base is uh, and analyze what your vendor base is, because you could also be doing business uh, not with a particular region, but with a specially designated national. Um, either as a customer or as a supplier, or even in some cases as a bank or a forwarding company, because there's a lots of different ways you can, you know, different people can be on the list. Um, and you would need to, you know, figure out how to analyze that. So compliance programs are a mitigating factor in the in the penalty analysis. So um, the the Office of Foreign Assets Control, OFAC, which is the main regulator of U.S. economic sanctions, um has a nice penalty matrix um and they have both mitigating factors and aggravating factors um and obviously having a compliance program that is effective um and fixing the compliance program when you figure out oh this didn't work because we forgot about this actually uh uh fixing that are are mitigating factors actually listed there okay
1: interestingly uh One more question which comes to my mind. So in case if I have violated an export control law of the U.S., along with a sanctions law, how and which authority will consider to sort of take me on, as well as in terms of compounding and penalties, how does that mechanics work?
2: So this is a good point, um, Sanjay We're talking about uh, economic sanctions, but they go hand in hand. With export controls. So, if we're talking about products or software technology that's subject to U.S. export controls, you can have both an OFAC sanctions violation and an export control violation. In that case, both agencies can investigate you, and both agencies can fine you. Um, Normally, they work together to some extent. Sometimes they historically they haven't worked together quite so well. They've gotten much better recently, and and working together. And they even have it center, which sort of makes sure that they're working together to some extent. Uh, but uh, you know, if you have make a voluntary disclosure, for example, you would make it and you violated the laws of both of the agencies. You would make it to both of the agencies. Also, if it's a criminal violation, if you know that it, your company was behaving in a willful manner, um, the U.S. government would love, also like you to make a disclosure to the Department of Justice, but. I would strongly recommend you do not take that step or any voluntary uh, disclosure step without consulting with counsel because there are pros and cons to voluntary disclosures. And there are also situations where the disclosure is involuntary at all. In order to avoid making an additional violation, you kind of have to disclose. Um, so it, it, it's a tricky situation and you wouldn't want to make that call on your own. Yeah.
1: No, that is quite insightful because... Uh, You know, some of these practical questions uh, definitely keep on coming up in people's mind as well as keep on coming to uh, external lawyers such as us. But definitely we know uh, there are competent lawyers and people such as yours who can, you know, guide in terms of what are the, you know, key steps to be taken at at what stage and how do we sort of move around. Well, it Uh,
2: doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be me or you, Sanjay. My my goal is just to don't don't rush into the US government without making sure you under you might not even have a violation. Sometimes there are little exceptions and people are like, oh, you know, for example, there are uh general licenses that allow US persons um, and foreign persons uh, with uh, you know foreign origin agricultural products, medicine, and med- medical devices to do business with Iran. There's also another general license for Iran having to do with uh, personal communications devices like laptops and and uh, internet s- uh, services of variety of sorts. So it may be that you haven't violated as well, uh, but it's it's something to to take a look at. Sure. And I think I think Sanjay, you wanted to know what, whether there was any mitigation for voluntary disclosure. I think that was on your checklist of things to discuss this morning. Correct, right. but maybe in one
1: of our earlier questions, you have pretty much answered that. But uh, given that uh, I have two hidden questions, and if I oh. need, just quote <laughs> you on that, because these are certain new developments which we are getting to see uh, in the area of emerging technology. Now, given the growing importance of emerging technology for national security, economic competition, and whatever we can see around uh, concerning semiconductors and everything else on artificial intelligence and stuff. Uh, What are the recent trends concerning sanctions and export controls to address uh, some of these challenges posed by emerging technologies?
2: Well, I think uh, what I can say is obviously the US government is very interested in emerging technologies. Um, and if you happen to be providing emerging technologies to a particular, uh, say industry, uh, abroad that, uh, that is within the crosshairs, uh, then your fines would go up. I mean, it's not really an economic sanctions issue, but, um, uh, they, there was a huge fine against a U.S. company, uh, for selling, uh, hard drives to Huawei. Uh, you know, it was $300 million. That's a lot of money uh, for anybody uh, in, in chunks of 25 million a quarter up from, from the third quarter of this year until 2028, which is a long time to be paying 25 million a quarter. Um, and so, uh, you know, for areas where, uh, they're, they're focused on, you know, for example, the most recent, the semiconductor regulations at commerce, uh, if you happen to be selling in that area, um, then you're much more likely to be, con- it, your violation is much more likely to be considered a serious, significant violation, and you're much more apt to get fined. But that tends to be a little bit more on the export control side is where we really look at uh, the the control levels on the technology.
1: Uh, My next question is going to be on circumvention, given that uh, India has no regulation on sanctions as much as what U.S. and uh, EU and other countries have. And given that, uh, you know, some countries are, of course, undertaking steps to ensure that there is no circumvention of sanctions and export control. Uh, You know, like we read that the EU and UK have now, you know, restrictions on imports of third country iron and steel? Should they contain any Russian or iron and steel? Uh, what kinds of steps is the U.S. adopting to address circumvention in the supply chain whereby U.S. origin goods or technology do not reach either the sanctioned entities or prohibited goods or technologies do not enter the U.S.?
2: So, I mean... Uh... The U.S. has imposed import restrictions as well uh, on on a a number of goods coming from Russia. Uh, On the export side, the U.S. has published a series of uh, bulletins uh, on uh, circumvention practices. um, And it has focused not specifically on India, to my knowledge, uh, but on countries which are being used as circumvention points. And India obviously could be one since you don't have sanctions on, for example, Russia. Um, and it goes. To the the guidances are quite detailed. They talk about the specific harmonized tariff numbers that are being uh, uh, circumvented around and into Russia for the Russia war effort. Um, they talk about practices. They talk about, for example, um, uh, a number of companies have sprung up. Right, the the Russia can't get the 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 key uh, parts and components. Uh, Legally, so what they they're they're using front companies. So this the guidances are quite useful, and they talk about you know, well, had the company been in existence before February twenty fourth of twenty twenty two, have are there strange changes in the level of imports? Um are they buying more than they used to buy? you know they get go through do they have a real web presence, or do they have one of those web? I saw one web <laughs> website the other day where it was pretty much you know a shell and the, the the new news articles were very very much the you know the press releases of the company were actually news articles pulled from from a news source right so you can see immediately that it's you know it's pulled together in a half. Uh, you know, half-baked manner. Um, so they have uh, useful things about what to look for. And of course, the other thing they're doing is they're prosecuting, right? So um, they're prosecuting uh, companies when they're actually involved in the U.S. and they're putting them on the list. So they, they, in addition to SDN list, and now we're getting into export controls again, there's also the entity list. And they have been putting uh, persons and companies around the world on the entity list as well as the SDN list for supporting the Russian war effort, so those are some of the things they've been doing. So uh,
1: many stakeholders have, of course, argued, and this is uh, some of the thinking and some of the uh, background uh, in uh, you know from India's perspective. And you know, purely that sanction laws have, of course, been around for several years, uh, indeed, and of course, with the Russian-Ukraine conflict has been for a while now, uh, but. Why do you think there is a need of, or why there is a need to be wary of such laws today? Because with more conflicts happening globally, uh, so what what is the sort of the background on all of this that we need to be thinking as much as in a global world, but not in a multilateral world, but still being from a trusted source? How do you sort of consider all these kinds of developments around us?
2: Well, um, a, a top Department of Justice official, Lisa Monaco, said uh, re- recently. Well, in the last couple of years, she said it several times that sanctions is the new FCPA, the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. So it's a it's a huge area of of focus for the U.S. government in the enforcement area. It, to the extent that this last year um, they established something called the Office of the Whistleblower. Uh, under uh FinCEN which is part of the US Department of Treasury so they now have a program where if if, if the violation is in the economic sanctions area um uh, someone who knows about it and it doesn't have to be a US person it could be a non-US person as well can write in to the US Department of Treasury explain the facts that they know about a violation um and if the US government uh, acts on it uh it's new information it's original information then The the whistleblower can get from 10 to 30 percent of what the U.S. government gets uh, in terms of a settlement. So (laughs) this is only going to go up. Right. Um, uh, And I think it behooves the the Indian companies to take a good hard look at what they're doing and see, you know, is it is it worth it? Um, You know, obviously, you probably can make a lot of money off of moving Iranian oil. But if your company is put on the specially designated nationals list. Um, then your company will be struggling to even be alive in one year Um, because uh, most companies just don't want to do business with other companies on the SDN list entirely outside of the United States. It's just the banks don't want to do it. (laughs) Essentially, the banks have de-risked and they're not doing any of that business. So if your bank is not going to do business with you, then it's very hard to stay in business.
1: Absolutely, K, very insightful, very thought-provoking, and I think much more educative for businesses out in India. Uh, That brings us to the close of the series. Always a pleasure to have you with us today, whether now it is virtually or in the next few months to see you physically in India uh, and, you know, talking to our clients. But nevertheless, always a pleasure. Thank you, uh, K, for doing it for us. And last and not the least, would like to send you all the best greetings from all of us out here at ELP and India. Thank you, Kay. Thanks.